Hey there, and welcome to Church of the Beloved's weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zhou, and I serve on staff as the production manager here at COTV. This week's message is brought to us by teaching team member Ricky Padilla. He is preaching from Exodus chapter 20, verse 14. By now in a sermon series like this one, it's hard for me to have any surprises for you. You already know that we've been preaching through the Ten Commandments and you've been counting. You know that this is the Seventh Commandment that we're going through today. So it's very hard to have surprises. Not only is it hard because it's a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, shout out to Pastor Abe, because he also, when he invited me to preach, said, you've got the Seventh Commandment, which is one of the most intense sounding commandments of the entire 10. So it's hard to surprise you. It's also hard to get up in front of you to share about this particular commandment, given the intensity of it. But the problems are many. It's familiar. It's simple and straightforward. Someone might come up here on stage and say, don't commit adultery. That's the sermon. Amen. Blessed be the church. It's a hard passage to preach because of familiarity, because you have learned the Ten Commandments since childhood for most of you. You know them. You can recite them. If you do catechesis in your church, you probably know them well. And so this is not a simple sermon to preach, even if the passage is five words long. The other reason this is an especially hard sermon to preach is because we as believers think it's quite easy to obey this one. Do not commit adultery. Easy for me, I'm not married. Not a problem for me, not an option, we might say. Some of us who are married would say, I would never. How could this even be possible? And so part of the reason this is a particular passage for us to hear anew is the temptation to think that like the rest of the commands in the Ten Commandments, this one is perhaps the easiest to obey, the easiest to follow. And then the last reason I think that this is an especially difficult passage for us to hear anew is because unlike the first four commandments, this one doesn't have the summary of the story it's embedded in. Did you know that the Ten Commandments are all rooted in a story about God and his people? They're rooted in the relationship God has been growing with Israel. They're rooted in the birth of Israel as a people. The first three commandments are especially obvious about this as they tie to the book of Exodus and what God did to liberate the people from Egypt and to call them his own. This particular verse doesn't have explicitly written out its story. But I hope today that we might join in on hearing the story behind the five words that are God's text for us today. I hope that we might look at this text and see how dramatic it really is, how hard it is to obey, and how the Lord might strengthen us and renew us so that we could indeed live the flourishing life that he's invited us into. If you haven't yet, would you turn with me again to Exodus chapter 20? If you have a Bible or you're using your phone, I promise I won't judge you. 
Exodus chapter 20, we are in the Ten Commandments. We're looking at verse 14. We'll read it, even though we know it, even though it's familiar, even though it's quite simple. We'll read it to uncover the drama that is embedded in this text. Exodus chapter 20, verse 14 says simply, You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. As I already mentioned, this text has a story that undergirds the command. All of the commands in Scripture are rooted in the narrative, they're rooted in the story. The Bible, quite frankly, is not a collection of simple principles for us to obey, though often you might hear preachers talk about the Bible that way. The Bible is a collection of principles for how to live a holy and flourishing life. The Bible is, in fact, at base, primarily a narrative, a story about God, how God created everything, about how God chose a people and commanded that people to team and to flourish and to live abundantly, co-laboring with God in finishing the work of cultivating the earth. The Bible goes from garden to city. The intention of God is that we might cultivate things to bring about the city that God intended, a city marked by fellowship and sharing, a city marked by self-giving and love. The story undergirds all of the principles that we see in the text. This one, unlike the first four commands, is rooted in the most ancient story in the biblical text, the oldest story. This particular verse goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, if you're curious, and 27. Where God said, let's see how responsive we can be. God said, we will make them in our image. This verse goes all the way back to when God determined to make humanity. Male and female, he created us in his image. God created us. Do not commit adultery is rooted first and foremost in the story of what makes us human. What makes us human beings? What makes us people? It's rooted in a story about our bodies. A story about our bodies, a story written on our bodies, a story told by our bodies. Did you know that your bodies communicated a story? In 2017, the government of France instituted a new law, a law I actually think is quite wonderful, a law Canada is currently considering, a law that I think the U.S. should take up. In 2017, France instituted a law where any picture that showed a model, human model, a person, that was photoshopped needed to indicate clearly and explicitly somewhere in the marketing that the picture had been touched up digitally, that the person's body had been somehow changed, that their face had somehow been recolored, that the people looking at the marketing would know that that person had, their body had been somehow manipulated. The reason, the French government said, for this important law is to combat food, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, things that people were doing, self-injury that came, according to the government of France, at least in part from body image issues caused by marketing brands that suggested something about our bodies, about what is beautiful, what is good. 
what we can delight in about our bodies. Our bodies tell a story. This French law is about telling an honest story about bodies, telling a true story about bodies. Because bodies say something about what it means to be human. In fact, it is through the body, and primarily through the body, that we know that we are image bearers of God. What does it mean to bear God's image? Who is God that we bear God's image? The scriptures tell us that God is, John tells us, he uses three words, God is L-O-V-E, God is love. You know, theologians spend a lot of time debating what it means to bear God's image. Some would say that it's about our dominion over the world, our creative capacities, the ability to speak. Quite simply, the image of God at base, I think, is about our ability to be self-giving, our ability to demonstrate love, the fact that we are inherently relational bodies, that we are being for the other, we might say. Scripture says that God is love and tells us that we are made in God's image, which means that we, to be human, to bear the image of God, should also be self-giving, being for other, being for the rest of creation, being for our neighbor and partner, being for those of us that are married, for our spouses, being for our children, for our parents, for those who are suffering, those in need. Being who considers the reality of hurt and destruction in the world. It is in our bodies that we display the image of God. That we display the love that is inherent to what it means to be human. A friend of mine, Colton Bernasol, half Filipino, half Mexican, he writes an article that you can find on Sojourners. It's called My Abuela's Belief and My Doubt. The article starts like this. To think of grandma is to think of a persistent presence of love. ¿Qué pasa, abuela? I'd say to her, always with an insecure grin. She'd shake her head. You know I don't like that you call me that, abuela, grandma. Then she'd laugh, and with a gentle voice she'd remind me, I love you, mijo. Colton goes on writing, there's an assurance to her statement built by 25 years of consistent action. I remember during my grandma's visits waking up every morning to her cooking chorizo and eggs, beans and eggs, bacon and eggs. She'd spend hours making tortillas for my family. Even now, she makes tortillas in mass. Her ancient hands folding flour and water into dough, rolling that dough into discs and tossing them on the comal, until tortillas sizzle into being. Abuela using her hands to demonstrate God's presence, love, and her self-giving effort in caring for her grandson, Colton, who she says she loves very much. Our bodies, how we use them, what we do with them, demonstrate the image of God. We show self-giving love in our bodies and how we feed one another, and how we care for one another, and what we do with these things that we have, these things that we are, bodied individuals. Bodies tell stories. The French knew this, so they instituted a law. Abuela knew this, so she served Colton 
and made him some very good breakfast, let me say. I read that and I get hungry every time. Bodies tell stories. And the command in Exodus, do not commit adultery, is God's warning that we might not do something that tells an utterly different story, an otherwise story, a destructive story, a story of a much different kind. Adultery is so bad, the reason God commands directly in Exodus for us not to commit adultery is quite simply because adultery tells a dehumanizing story, a story about us becoming something less than human, a story about us treating others as objects, a story that shifts what it means for us as humans. Instead of being for other, which is what is inherent to being human, a being displaying love, being for other, adultery moves from that to committing something in our bodies that says, others are now for me. Objects that I might disregard commitments to, objects that I might take and possess and make mine. Adultery tells a destructive and alienating story. If you don't believe me that adultery is about a story we tell by making use of our bodies in certain ways, look at the way that Jesus himself talks about adultery. Uh, look at the way that Jesus himself interprets this passage, Exodus, by the way, verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 14. In Matthew chapter 5, if y'all can put the text up on for us, in Matthew chapter 5, in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he says, You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And I'll turn here and read the rest of it here for us. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He goes on, Jesus. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. Jesus is concerned with what we do with our bodies because our bodies tell stories of what it means to be human. Jesus says that to look at another person in such a way that we lust is to turn that other person into an object that we can use, take, possess, win. An object we can say, this is mine. And in doing so, we make that person something less than human. We use our bodies to communicate something less than what it means to be fully human in ourselves. And we alienate the person. We alienate ourselves from our very bodies. We alienate ourselves from God and from our partners and our loved ones. Adultery is such a threat that Jesus says it is better to have a wounded body than to do something like that with our bodies, to communicate something that causes a loss to our very humanity. Jesus isn't the only one who says this. Paul in 1 Corinthians also has something quite intense to say, rooted in this passage and the ancient story that it draws from. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 12, says, All things are lawful for me. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. 
Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And then I'm going to skip ahead here. He says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. According to Paul, our bodies are always tied to our relationships. We are embodied and we are human only ever when we continue to be interconnected with those that God has put in our midst. I know this is true. I stand before you here as a Puerto Rican man, born in Detroit, Michigan, very much connected to an island that makes me hate this cold weather. Something about my body tells me, oh man, I am connected to people that are an island people, not cold weather people. I know it in my very bones I wasn't meant to be here. But then the summer comes in Chicago and I think otherwise about it. But we know it in our bodies that we are interconnected, interdependent. What makes us us is our relationships to others. Paul says that one of the fundamental relationships is the relationship between us as embodied humans and the Lord. Paul says in this passage, we're not going to preach on 1 Corinthians here, but it's worth noting at least one thing about this passage. Paul says that when we use our bodies as vehicles to satisfy unduly our quite natural desires, the desire for food, for instance, we do something that might communicate to us something wrong about what it means to be embodied, something about what it means to be human. And we treat food, even, he says, in such a way that we gobble up everything as if we dominate the world and the world is ours for us to stand alone, satisfying our desires on an island. And we have lost sense of what it means to be human. To be human is to not to stand on an island, possessing all the world, making it ours to satisfy our own ends. To be human is to be interconnected, interdependent, in relationship with others and with God. Adultery shifts that story. The story of the human body as being for other, to turning the other as a possession for me. It's rooted in a kind of selfishness. And so, in light of that, God offers this command. Do not commit adultery. But Jesus and Paul have made it very clear in the New Testament, this is a very easy command to break. Jesus says, even with our eyes, we don't even have to touch the other person. It is very easy, Jesus says, for us to commit this sin that shifts the way that we interpret our bodies and shifts the way that we interpret the bodies of others. A sin that alienates us and makes us feel and say that we are something less than human. So if it is that easy for things to break, how do we fix it? How do we make it right? How do we maintain a flourishing human life? fully embodied, interconnected, interdependent life that relates well to the other and depends well on God for all the many gifts and good pleasures and delights that God has given us to experience in our bodies. How is it that we fix the very real mess 
that is inherent to this particular sin? How do we get disalienated? And how do we get humanized once more? Well, I love the fact that if this is a sin that is written in to a story about our bodies, I love the fact that Scripture tells us that God Himself took on what? A body. That God Himself became flesh, blood, and bone. That God lived on earth as a human, taking on a human body to tell with that body a new story. A story about a life lived as a self-giving love. A story about a body for others, utterly for others, to such a degree, Philippians 2 tells us. A story about a body so committed to others that Jesus in his very body gave that body up on a cross, died on a cross, so as to break the cycles of sin, adultery included, that we might live life and life in abundance, that we might live as fully human, not alienated from one another, redeemed, restored, interconnected once more, interdependent, in right relationship with God and with neighbors. No longer needing to dominate the world around us, but seeing the other as someone we might turn to in care and love, as Jesus did. Jesus took on a body that we might live as fully, abundantly human. Life given toward others, which is exactly what Jesus did. Displaying both the very real truth that Jesus is God. God is love. God is utterly self-giving. Jesus is utterly self-giving. But also, in dying on the cross, Jesus also displays, displays the fullness of humanity by giving his body utterly in the self-giving love for you and for me. How do we fix the sin of adultery? one that is so easy to commit for the married person, for the single person, for every person in the world? How do we resist the temptation to turn others into possessions, objects that we might alienate? We turn in trust to Jesus who took on a body to show us another way. A way that is self-giving as opposed to self-possessing. We turn to a God that might strengthen us that we might do the same. We have an invitation in Scripture to honor the ancient story. The story that says male and female, in both realities of that, God created us to display a world otherwise. Brian Bantam, in his book, The Death of Race, he writes this. I love this. He summarizes the Christian faith this way. He says, Christianity is about a body that does work. It is a confession that arises from a people who speak of the creation of humanity as bearing God's very image, that our bodies are wonderful and beautiful. It is a confession that we were made for community and relationship, that our bodies are what make this image possible. It is a confession that arises from a God who is utterly different than creation, but a God who wants to see us free. The heart of the Christian confession, says Bantam, 
is that God abhors the death we are subjected to. Scripture is the testament to God's continual desire for us to be alive, to love and be loved, to be with God and with one another. In our deluded sense of independence, God reminds us of our essential rationality, relationality, that we are always relational. In our exile or imprisonment, God comes near. In our alienation, God comes near. In the midst of our violation of others' bodies, bodies made in the image of God, God becomes like us, makes body life a part of God's own life. For lives repeatedly alienated, God sees, names, and touches. In the midst of these alienations, the incarnation is God's word to us that our bodies were made free and free to love well. We avoid adultery when we are self-giving in our love as opposed to turning others into possessions. Let's pray. Thanks for tuning into this week's COTB Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us online, you can find us at cotb.life.